0: Realise.
1: Thank you so much for drawing that to my attention and apologies to people who are just joining the recording now. We um, got recording just a little bit late. In a nutshell, what I've just been saying is that the materials that we're to read this week, that we're going to discuss, Terry Turner's piece and Derrida's piece, take us well outside the scope of the unit, which is very much focused on structuralism. They take us to post-structuralist critique of structuralism, and they take us to broadly what gets described as the ontological turn. Um, Very contemporary, really, really interesting, but very complex debates um, that anthropologists continue to be um, really focused on. So we're going to manage this discussion today in a way that um, gives plenty of attention to the need to um, sort of unfold the the various themes and concepts with care, recognising that for many of you, this might be the first time you've met this material, but also while encouraging those who are really taken by it to be able to fly and um, sort of talk back to us in in, in terms of creative interpretation and so on. But we'll start with Levi Strauss and we'll come back to Levi Strauss at the end of that as well. and I wonder, well, let me just start by throwing it open in general. I know Mitch has is, is, is probably prepared some things to say to us, but let me just start by posing the, the general question of how people found the material last week, whether you went away and did any more reading or, or thinking, um, and just what your general vibe is around Lady Strauss at this point.
0: I'll start because <laughs> they're all a bit quiet. Um, for me, reading Levi Strauss, I feel like I can understand the, the opening to what he's writing and I understand when he brings in like his first analysis of events or whatever it is he wants to break up and compare. But then the more he goes into it and the more detail he discusses, that's when he leaves, like he loses me. So I find that I'm understanding the concept broadly, but then I lose it and then the conclusion kind of does, does make sense. But then some of these readings, there's like too much math um, and I feel like I've got like a kind of dyslexia where I just don't understand, like there's too many lines, there's too many numbers and axes in this, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not freaking me out. So it's not putting me off at all because I feel like we've had quite a lot of Levi-Strauss kind of introduction through undergraduate and things like that. Yeah.
1: And are there particular readings that you're stuck with that are giving you this confounding
0: sense? Um, basically all the ones that have a lot of pictures and maths in them. Yeah. So I really liked the, um, the dual uh, community one. I'm not sure what if that's the right name. Chapter 8, I really liked that, but then it got into so much depth when he brought in like the triad, like he brought in the third field and he started talking about Indonesia is when I kind of lost it. But I was on board when he was originally talking about like the Winnebago and and um, he brought up the Polynesian Islands or Melanesian Islands. Yeah, so with that, as well as with the myth talk as well, it kind of lost me when he added on the more complex myth, but I got it when you first described it. So, if anything, I need more reading.
1: Well, there are two different ways you can read Levi Strauss. You can, you can sort of go with all of the detail, or you can refuse to be drawn into the detail and try and read him for an understanding of structuralism per se, and sort of try and try and just grasp that slightly more abstract argument that he's making, which at one level is profoundly anti-ethnographic, you know, what I'm suggesting, because it's just saying, oh, don't worry about all that culture stuff that you get in a myth or whatever. Um, but in, in some ways, there's something to be said for taking that approach to, um, you know, it's a first and a second reading of him, I guess. Yeah. How about other people? Any responses to you know naomi's um response
2: yeah i think i agree with you and uh so yeah when uh, when i i read him it it's it gets complicated and that's i think one of the problem with him. But uh, to understand the structuralism, I, I didn't go into that much depth, and I didn't kind of uh, so I, I just understood that he's talking about kinship, about language, about myths. But I didn't go specifically into those studies that he uh, he does uh, in regards to those teams that he wants to uh, try to, I don't know, apply his own uh, uh, understanding or methodology and approach. So I think, yeah, that was uh, my understanding or, yeah, uh, I would uh, read parts of it and then leave some of it, uh, yeah behind and that would kind of uh, help me understand structuralism uh, not a structural study of myths uh, or uh, kinship in, in that sense uh, the structure of kinship but it would just give me the yeah a, a broad understanding of uh, structuralism and how he tries to approach that yeah and i think yeah but uh, Derrida was it was good as well Uh, so um, that he helped me understand (laughs) structuralism I know that's odd to say because he might be misreading (laughs) Leo Strauss but
1: yeah excellent thanks so yes obviously we'll come to Derrida in in due course I put one other little essay up in um, our readings um, just before coming on, which is an essay that some of you will have read, which is The Science of the Concrete. And I think that's Levi Strauss's best, most compelling narrative writing that really allows... It it, it sort of draws you... It gives you a good sense of really what's at stake in structuralism um, without drowning you in all the detail. Although he does go through, you know, he's endless sorts of exercises to make to make the point. But um, just there are a whole series of moves in in that essay. And he comes in the end to this comparison between the bricoleur and the engineer, which is incredibly interesting and compelling for thinking about what lies at the heart of of, of that analysis that, that he wants to deploy and also the distinction that he wants to make between different kinds of societies. Um, So any of you who are thinking of writing on him um, for the essay, I'd perhaps encourage you to have a look at that essay if if you feel inclined, if you haven't done so already in previous iterations. What else? Any other sort of general responses?
3: Um, I mean, I might jump in here um, with what I've got. I mean, I haven't. Haven't got much, um, mainly because I have been focusing on on mouse um, yeah. the essay, but um, and also given the nature of the text, and, and that it's you know it's not one sort of linear narrative; it's a a compendium of of different essays all jumping around the around the shop. And um, similar with manager, I think um, I've found greatest utility in just picking and choosing and jumping in and jumping out and um, leaving some things behind. Um, but, yeah, I think, and, and a lot of it's already sort of been said. I mean, in Melinda's lecture, I guess, last week, um, it was quite, uh, it was very good um, and helped me to understand um, a lot more about it. Um, but in that regard, I think uh, I'm hard-pressed to simplify it even even further or or summarize it I think it's it's been summarized quite well already, but if I were to say anything, it was um, what stood out to me was his um, concentration and uh, focus on signs symbols, and meaning um, they they're themes that that keep popping up um, and yeah, I think it's um if you were to understand structural anthropology, I think um, understanding what he means by each of those and, and what he means in terms of relations between them, um, I think is is key. Um, also on page 230, um, if you've got that edition, um, I think it's... In Levi Strauss's own words, I think this paragraph on page two thirty to uh, to conclude the structural study of myth. Um, I think out of this text, anyway, in Levi Strauss's own words, this is probably as as clear as um, as I find it. Um, particularly when he says uh, the same logical processes operate. Um, in myth as in science, Um, I think that's as clear as Levi Strauss has ever got um, in my reading of him. Um, And again, I think um, in terms of just jumping in and out of the text, I think um, jumping in and reading this and then jumping out and and thinking about it um, has um, helped me at least to understand structural anthropology um, a little bit better. I do have one other point, um, one other question rather. Um, Page ninety-five, the bottom of page ninety-five. It was a couple of lines that I just really struggled to to really comprehend of what he was getting at, um, and whether it has anything to do with his major uh, theoretical argument or not. uh, I'm not sure, but. he writes, but, but as soon as the various aspects of social life uh, are, are expressed as relationships, anthropology will become a general theory of relationships. So he said, to me, he's saying, he, he's sort of warning us, warning the scholars to be wary of, um, I guess, reducing anthropology to a general theory of relationships. But then in the next sentence, um, he sort of alludes to what anthropology could be if we were to um, make anthropology a general theory of relationships. And, and he, he writes, uh, then it will be possible to analyse societies in terms of the differential features characteristic of the systems of relationships which define them. Um, so, yeah, I'm wondering, particularly Melinda, if you could comment on that. Um,
1: yeah, for sure. So maybe I, yeah,
3: clearer that up a bit.
1: I don't read that first sentence as a warning. I read it as an argument in support of this is what anthropology should be.
4: Okay. Yeah.
1: That's what Levi Strauss argues for anthropology, that it is exactly the analysis of a system of relationships. So remember when, when we, when, when he, we, I was first introducing you to the process of signification and, um, structural linguistics and this being the the foundations upon which he builds his his work, he, what, what he does, which is brilliant and new in adding to um, the sort of uh, the, the schema by which structural linguistics works is to add this this idea of a mytheme, myth which is a, you know, a component, a kind of relation, he calls it. And so he wants to argue that um, you, you can't do anything when you, when you just go, here are all these things. You have to look at the relations between things. Now, it's, it's such a, a straightforward but brilliant thing to say that anthropology must be concerned with relationships. And even when we're, we're now sitting here in a post-post-structuralist period, looking back and reading this material... I can read this and say, well, there's an unbroken line from Levi Strauss telling us that anthropology is about making sense of systems of relationships and the kind of work that somebody like I do in the present that insists that we constantly chase down the qualitatively different kinds of relationships through which life is lived. So for Lévi-Strauss, he's concerned with kinship in particular, whereas in the present, we've, we've just sort of seen an explosion, a proliferation of social forces. And so we look to all kinds of relationships, whether they be governmental, whether they be friendship, whether they be, you know, all manner of things. But that, that kernel, that core idea that anthropology focuses on relationships is still there that has not been broken it wasn't smashed by derrida and it hasn't been um you know um we we, we've got nothing left essentially if we we say we're not interested in relationships um so i i think that that's what what's going on there um
3: yeah yeah Anything. I think looking, I think it was just the the word but at the start yeah. of it threw me a little, and then to follow it up with with general and and the kinds of um, I guess cautions that people um, preface when they typically use the term general, um, you know, to generalize is not really um, good.
1: So I think we we can read him as speaking back to Marx. So he's be, he's reading Marx in the previous paragraph. Mm -hmm. Um, of being concerned with um, economics it is only through the habit of everyday life that we come to think it perfectly plain and commonplace that a social relation of production should take the form of a thing so Marx highlights the social relation of production for Marx as we know well economics was what he wrote about. We we have a sense that he intended to write much more widely than economics, but he, he did quite a lot on economics before he knocked off. So the but I think is saying the various aspects of social life, not simply economic, but economic, linguistic, etc our relationships. And so similarly relationships with each other in relation to each other, we could say. So Marx does um, a very particular job around political economy, but levy Strauss wants to give us ho- a, a much more holistic picture. And as we know, very, very ambitiously, ultimately, the idea of, you know, universal, you know, humanity is, you know, spinning in our heads didn't quite um, managed to secure the evidence for that per se, but that's what he was reaching for. So does that make sense?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Cool. Um, so Rosie, who was to be um, bring something to our discussion today, and I'm very, very sadly, is in bed with COVID did send me something that she asked me to read.
4: Okay, she wanted to re- raise a
1: talking point, And this is from page 369. She says anthropology has become so right at the very end of the book must be Yeah, anthropology has become too diversified and technical a subject to be taught in one year courses generally entitled introduction to anthropology or something similar, and usually consisting of vague comments on clan organizations, polygamy and totemism, it would be dangerous to imagine that such superficial ideas can be used to provide effective training for young men who, and yes it is men, as missionaries, administrators, diplomats, soldiers, etc., are destined to live in contact with populations very different from their own. An introduction to anthropology no more produces an anthropologist, even an amateur one, than an introduction to physics produces a physicist or even an assistant physicist. So there you go. That's quite a nice talking point to leave us with. Um anyone got any response to that?
4: I um
5: I I think that's an interesting point because that's part of the reason why I chose to do honors was that I felt like in my undergrad I hadn't gone deep enough into what anthropology was that I needed something more and I needed more time with anthropology and I still don't, like when people ask me what have I done, I'm like, I majored in anthropology, they ask am I an anthropologist and I don't like calling myself that because I haven't done ethnographic work or anything like that, I like it's a weird title to call myself after, you know, just three years of eight units in a major that I feel like do give a good basis of anthropology but I think there is a certain level of nuance that is missing especially like you know with this unit we're looking at mouse and Levi strauss in a lot of depth which is you know the the the, um you know structure of anthropology in a sense and like I don't feel like I got that in undergrad so that's why I'm in honors yeah excellent
1: point um and so I, th- I think that's that's what he's nudging towards he's, he's he's also nudging towards the need to practice so you know he he makes a lot of the you know the work that he does um, assembling so many versions of a myth and having to go through the process of in effect a scientific hypothesis you know you 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 produce the the um the hypothesis for what you think you're going to prove, and then you go through the exercise, and that's the way his essentially mathematical model works, I think.
6: Yeah,
4: all righty. Um,
1: so if we does anyone want to talk more about Levi Strauss at this level before we go to the other readings? Uh, I wouldn't
7: mind just asking one question Um, early on in the text he says social anthropology I think I've got it as page 18 but I'm working off a different um, version I think social anthropology is devoted especially to the study of institutions considered as systems of representations in the durkheimian sense of beliefs sentiments and norms common to the common to the members of a society cultural anthropology so he's like distinguishing between what is social anthropology and what is cultural cultural anthropology to the study of techniques which implement social life and sometimes also to the study of institutions considered as such techniques um do we still kind of work on this kind of delineation between what is social anthropology and what is cultural anthropology Um, No,
1: look, it's a really, really good question, Matt. And it it basically, it it broadly accords with, um, through the history of the 20th century, the British versus the American kind of line. And um, with, with, with the Brits really being very heavily indebted to the French as well, so Durkheim and so on. So that very, very strong emphasis on the social as a concept and the cultural line, kind of leads out of Boaz and then, um, you know, it's heavily influenced by Geertz and and moves on from there. You do still see, um, you know, really important and interesting differences in the way people cluster together the kind of the community of scholars that they're writing with. So if you read American anthropology journals, you'll find there's a different flavour to the material in those journals to the British and the European journals. And similarly, if you go to the big conferences, you'll find a really different flavour, which I think is is in and of itself culturally really interesting. You know, so American anthropology is very easy to box as kind of riffing off the latest zeitgeist and, you know, having all sorts of melodrama and spice and, and dramatic kind of performative elements to it. That's me being rather rude, but um, I can tell you, it's, um, it's, you know, there, there's your version of Hollywood anthropology, as I'm sure you can appreciate, and it has all of its its rock stars and celebrities and particular people who must be cited and all the rest of it. The Europeans, of course, they have their rock stars too, but there's i like to say there's a bit more rigor and seriousness over on the, the european side than the american side which is interesting so people don't talk necessarily in in those terms although if you're if you're educated at a u.s university you might might still talk about the four fields of anthropology um you know which which were you know brought, brought into into being a long time ago now but um are, are still sort of Trotted out in various ways, you know, and that that in- takes you to the, the um, biological anthropology as well as um, uh, the sort of anthropology that you're familiar with. Um, so I, I can't give you a definitive answer, except to say that there's, there, there's nothing as, as stark and clear cut as a distinction between those two, but I think it, it really matters whether people foreground the social as their key concepts. Or not. If if they foreground culture rather than than social, then you'll find there's a different feel to the anthropology itself. Um, and I think you know, in the the second anthropology unit in the second half of the year, you start to read some more of that material that gives you a sense of those different flavors. Even though, in the way that unit is currently organised, it's not. Um, presented in a in a kind of a schematic way. Does that make sense?
7: Yep, thank you, it does, yep.
1: Cool. All right, so we, we might loop back to Levi Strauss, but let, let's sort of talk into some more, some of this other material. Would you like to go to Derrida first or Terry Turner? Any preference? I sort of feel like maybe we should go to Derrida and maybe I should just say a couple of things before we jump in by way of sort of setting the scene as it were. Um, firstly, how many of you are reading Derrida for the first time when you read this essay? Okay, yeah, good. Most of you. Yes, great. All right. So um, how, was it impenetrable or did you, have you read enough of you know, material in that milieu to um, sort of just at least get the gist of what, what he was on about?
6: It kept it kept slipping for me. I read it last week and I've just tried to refocus on again and I feel like reading it again, I've read nothing. So, And I think I was interpreting it, I was reading into it things, I don't know, I'll find out, reading into it things that weren't there
1: Yeah, Hmm. I can still remember being, I think I was a third-year student, not an honours student, reading Foucault's The History of Sexuality for the first time in a class. And I must have read that book four times, and it just continued to go over my head until, you know, we were sat down in class and sort of taken it through, you know, what was going on um, in this process brick by brick, because it is... um, it is profoundly confounding and it upends, um, you know, lots of taken for granted things if you've not read sort of into post-structuralism before. Um, but super, super interesting and mind-blowing once you've got the, um, got and I won't call it a key because it's not a key, but once you've got this sort of the, the basis for um, coming to terms with what's going on. I think it's really useful to, um, to know a little bit about what was going on in the wider world at the time that this client, this work by people like Derrida and Foucault and a bunch of really interesting feminist philosophers, Toril Moy and various others who some of you might know of. To know what was going on in the world that kind of brought the social sciences and brought philosophy to this moment of... Um well, we can glibly call it a paradigm shift. we can call it a major rupture we can call it um, um, a, a a complete you know a, a major turn you know in 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 the way um, human life and um, all sorts of things about um, meaning production are being thought about and so it's good that I introduced you to signification last week because that, that kind of the um, what what is really at the heart of these ideas that Derrida is bringing into bear, is the unraveling or the uncoupling of some certainties that um, Levi Strauss first acts with, and their are uncertainties to do with Um, the presumption that meaning is stable and there's a whole bunch of things that follow on from that. So what was going on at this time, particularly in France, were a series of profound or just a period of profound social unrest. Any of you know about May 1968 in Paris? the the events associated with May 68, is it completely new or it got a bit of familiarity? I'll I'll take it as pretty new. All right, so in May 1968, there were these major student protests in the university. Um, Protests that were ultimately about um, class discrimination, they were were anti-capitalism protests, anti-consumerism. They're against the bureaucratic control of the university. I mean, think about the broader setting of the 60s. You know, there's this sort of general foment around all sorts of, um, you know, movement towards change, um, all kinds of new sorts of social movements, um, free love, all kinds of ideas people are playing with. And that word play is really important in terms of what we're going to talk about today, where... um, Interesting, critical, creative people, lots of poets, lots of musicians, are all passionately thinking and practicing the possibility of alternate ways for organizing society. So the French student protests build all of this momentum and they end up being followed by a general strike by the union. So the unions come in behind the students, this is a major moment in France, in terms of a, um, a, um, a threat, the threat of a revolution to overthrow the government. Now, the short story is that they didn't overthrow the government, but the, the process of these demonstrations had such profound ricochet effects, um, not just through the university sector, but through French society more generally, that quite literally all of that foment in the world brought to a head the need for new theorizing, the need for new tools of social analysis because something had shifted in the world and the certainty and some would say the conceit of structuralism and of classical social theory was just kind of um, absolutely rattled. Okay, so for those of you who've read Marx, Durkheim, Weber, you'll have this sense that at the heart of all of those, you know, really fantastic and major bodies of work, there's a a figure that stands as taken for granted. And that's the figure of the individual, the figure of the person, but they don't use that language as person. In, in the late 1800s, that's, that's the language of more recent anthropology. That body of social theory was trying to make sense of social forces that are then, you know, that act upon the individual. So from Marx, we have this idea that um, man, and it is man, with a capital M, um, the the uh, has something that gets called an essential human nature, and that essential human nature is produced through labour. It's produced in the relationships that people enter into when they take hold of nature, trees, um, fibre, other sorts of natural elements in the world, stone, water, and they transform those natural objects into cultural objects. So even if we just think of you know, that kernel that's at the heart of Marx's schema, this idea of essential human nature, we, we can see there that there's a binary between nature and culture, which is really essential. And also that there's a central figure of an individual who's taken as given. The very idea of an essential human nature suggests that to some extent, we are all the same. We're just waiting to be freed of the shackles that alienate us, and we will find our essential human nature. Now, these people in the 1960s have kind of broken through that trajectory and that way of thinking. They're looking around the world and they're seeing power as functioning in ways that Marx, Weber, Durkheim, Levi-Strauss could not make sense of. So there's a profound dissatisfaction with those grand narratives, you know, the, the big thinking in which it was imagined, the whole world could be taken account of um, in, a, in a you know, deployed um, uh, in, with a sense of arrogance is, is also what, what's being presumed here. And they they're calling for a new kind of society And hand in hand with that, in essence, they're calling for new modes of analysis to both accompany that society, but also help bring it into being. So the very idea of deconstruction, which is the analytic term that we associate with Derrida's work, a deconstructivist analysis, is that it is actively, as a politics, it's pulling apart, you know, these forms of domination that have been in place so long that theory was ultimately perhaps supporting rather than helping undo. And so Derrida wants to bring into being um, a model that allows us to look differently at the world. And there's a whole bunch of consequences that go with that at the level of politics, at the level of language, at the level of meaning, at the the level of whether we can even imagine the possibility of stable categories and stable forms of meaning. Um, So there's there's a a huge amount for us to to talk about there. Um, We get the rise of concepts such as discourse, and those of you who have read Foucault will be familiar, at least to some extent, by that. And what discourse does is it, it is very much a part of this deconstructive project that wants to, in in the same way that man within the capital M is toppled at this time, truth with a capital T is similarly toppled. And so discourse gives us this explosion of different kinds of truths, if you, if you like, that the possibility that there are multiple truths that vie, that compete with each other for dominance in the world, which gives one a much more nuanced understanding of the way power works as it moves through a social body and also as it is enacted by us, you know, as um, subjects who participate in our own production as particular kinds of persons. And we've talked about that in previous weeks when we we're talking about whether the government controls us and um, why we stop at traffic lights and why we turn up a class on time and all of those sorts of things. So that's the broad background to these ideas. And um, if, if we go back to that um, equation of signification that we were looking at last week, where you have a, a signifier and a signified making a sign, you remember that for Levi Strauss, he, he shows us that there's an arbitrary relationship between the signifier and a signified. And mm-hmm. if we're looking cross-culturally, we're very, very familiar with that. There are different languages, there are different associations with different animals and so on and so forth. But what, what Derrida wants to say is that Levi Strauss, and structural linguistics give us a profoundly stable model. They presume that meaning is stable in whatever context that you're working in or living in. But Derrida wants to say that that's not the case at all. So he gives us what we then think of and re- refer to as the radically arbitrary nature of the sign. So rather than presuming meaning and signs are stable. He wants to presume they are always in play. So that's why we get this context, this concept of play in that essay and what he's partly referring to there. And again, you, you just, you, you can bring into your head so much more recent anthropology that you'll be familiar with. Could be via Bruno Latour and his model of a network that sees sort of influences sort of flitting off in all all sorts of directions rather than lodging at a place or originating at a place. There's the same thing going on here in in this body of work. So um, meaning is unstable, it's dynamic, it cannot be assumed, and it's always in the process of being remade. So perhaps that's enough for me to say by way of backgrounds. Let me know if you've got any questions about that and then we'll come to his essay per se. Uh,
7: yeah, I just had, I had a question um, so If, you know, if in Derrida's model, meetings not stable, it's always in flux, it's always in play, it's always changing, that doesn't necessarily negate um, the idea that what our mind is doing is projecting uh, binary structures. We could still project binary structures onto phenomena that is shifting in its meaning, I guess is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair, for sure. I I think that's a fair observation, Matt. Um, And I'm not sure whether Derrida answers that for us in this essay. Anybody else got any thoughts on on that? Minutio, have
4: you thought about this question? Uh,
1: No. No, no. I'm amazed. (laughs) <laughs>
2: yeah, uh yeah. I yeah, I think it, it was last night in our discussion I uh I was talking with Anne and I said that it's because of uh the play of power that comes in as a general thing uh that uh Derrida is trying to say that meaning or how we interpret things are uh, not as stable as uh, uh, Louis Strauss was uh, thinking or trying to say, and uh, in that sense, I would uh, oh, oh, yeah, I would say that uh, uh, there could be uh, that different interpretations or uh, invariant. Uh, or variant meanings uh, of uh, a certain truth. Uh, but uh, but with uh, the structuralist truth that uh, Lewis Strauss is saying, there would not be the necessity uh, for a dynamic process in, in that uh, relationship. And it, 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 it's much more aesthetic, and we don't... Uh, Uh, push ourselves to question that interpretation of that meaning that we try to, uh, I don't know, uh, to uh, give some of the signs or some of the actions that uh, are uh, there among a a group of people. And that's, uh, I think... Uh, my initial part on that but no i have not thought about that
1: i'm going to suggest we take a brief break now and that way i can get my little dog to stop humbugging me <laughs> um and people can clear their heads a little bit more come back and we'll we'll look at that um essay a little bit more closely and um and talk about um Uh, Terry Turner's piece as well. So um, we come back at uh, five past six. Is that good? All right.
0: See you all soon. Um, I'm sorry. I don't have anything on Derrida.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being my um, recording policewoman. I certainly need one today. Naomi's um, got got her eyes peeled because I got her to come on early um, to practice recording for next week when Rowan's going to join you and Naomi's going to record when I will be um, somewhere else. Yeah. Okay. Would anybody like to kick kick us off with any observation from this piece?
3: I want to throw someone under the bus.
1: Yeah, go for it.
3: (laughs) Manu, (laughs) chair. After we, we all, a few of us jumped on here last night and had a chat um, just about uh, how everything's going and, and whatnot, um, which is something that we'll keep on doing for those that didn't get on um, or, or didn't know about it for whatever reason. Um, Fantastic! So on, great that
1: you're doing that. Really yeah,
3: great. On on this link as well, so it's the same link, yeah. um, but I'm I'm pretty sure everyone knows about it. Um, but yeah, uh, manager gave a nice summary um, of, of the text and. Um, had some pretty good ideas. I I found anyway. Um, he might not think uh, think of it too much, but I I really um, yeah, it helped me a lot. So um, you know, if you could, I'm gonna throw you under the bus and
2: uh, open it up to you, manager. You? Uh, you mean <coughs> about uh, Derrida? Uh, yeah, yeah. So about
3: Derrida text. Um, I think I asked you. Well, I, I asked you the question: Is Derrida a post-structuralist? And, and and I think the conversation went from there. Um, but yeah, um, I guess I'm asking you to summarize the text and and pull out the key
2: key parts that you. Can. Yeah, I will try, uh, but I don't know. Yeah, I think as our uh, discussion started. When I was I was talking about uh, uh, Lew Strauss and uh, what are uh, what are the points that I see as a, as a problematic and one of the things that uh, that uh, I think is problematic is that he is much more he valorizes the the collective ag- against the individual and. Uh, and to do that, he kind of uh, tries to um, try to uh, find or discover uh, that uh, uh, that uh, main thing uh, in a, in a certain group, and that brings that aestheticness to his process. Uh, the, his his desire to kind of. Uh, Reach the origin or understand that origin through me, through kinship, or whatever, and uh, that is, I think, another part that uh, Derrida is is also talking about. And uh, I, I I think yeah. So uh, uh, he for for Derrida, I think it's it's much more uh, as I said earlier. It, power comes in it becomes an issue uh, as I think, yeah, Melinda uh, told about the uprisings and the resistance in 1968 uh, in in Paris. And uh, so there was a need to reinterpret that uh, sustainable uh, form of thinking that was going on. And I think uh, Derrida is saying that uh, with uh, structuralism it is uh, the word he uses is is uh, difference and so it it is usually both things it's uh, difference or to differ it includes uh, temporality and speciality so I think that is uh, also missing from uh, structuralism and uh, i So all all, all of uh, these things, I think, uh, brings in that uh, 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 the strictness of that structure structure in structuralism. And I think that is what Sterida is uh, trying to resolve, uh, even though he is using Lewis Strauss. And I think he is fascinated by Lewis Strauss. And uh, I think so yeah, to resolve all, all those problems, I think Derrida is trying to uh, argue for uh, the play or that fluid, flexible or uh, changeable uh, of uh, meaning and uh, that thing. So, yeah, I think, yeah, that's I mean, my initial thought on that.
1: Can, can I just come in on, on that sure. and, and add one little tiny thing that might help people who are grappling with this stuff for the first time. The, the, this concept of difference, which has this deferring element to it, as Manushi is saying, and bit, there's this sense that what he's critical of is stability. And so the other two concepts that might be useful for you to think about here is that this is, this is the critique of being as a concept and the beginning of becoming as a new kind of concept that, that anthropologists and and, and others, are, you know, activists and social movements are very much interested in. So that, you know, that, that, that idea of um, difference and deferral, you know, very, very future-focused, whereas all of the anthropology we've been familiar with up until now has been looking backwards. It's been about solid categories. It's about compendiums of myths or cultural, you know, this is and that's and there's a solidity there and that is being you know in philosophical terms so all of that starts to get broken down and you want to say something yeah <laughs> um
6: so what gets broken down being the concept of being or he's
1: really you're really talking about so the if, if we think about the structuralists in, in some sense as, as as trying to grapple with something we might call being this is what a culture is, this is what a society is. Okay. You you can you can um, detail all of the traits, you can say this is what okay. marriage is, this etc. Yeah. The language, etc. Mm. So,
6: so the concrete reality, yeah. the lived reality in concrete terms is the being.
1: Yeah, you could say that. But a concrete reality that you can recognize and um, mm. say this is what a family looks like. Yeah, yes. These are the rules of this society mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. He, mm-hmm. This is the beginning of, of instability in the place of stability or becoming, yes. you know, the sense of future focus. There's a the whole trajectory in, um, in philosophy and anthropology that, that heads out of there. So sorry, no. yeah, I just wanted to add that little bit. Sorry, Anne, go again. Yep.
6: Yeah, well, just so it clarifies my thinking. So the centre, when he's talking about the centre, is he, is he talking about that concept, that the centre is the absolute truth of what?
1: Derrida <laughs> um, is saying there is no centre.
6: Yes, you know, like there is, is no God, you know, there is no, there's no there's central truth. truth. Okay, that's good. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah. Thanks. Back to you, Minusha. Uh, I have
6: nothing more
2: to say. Just I think <laughs> last night we uh, the example was male, like we kind of valorized men as uh, as I don't know. I think and then the position is that we valorize uh, female or women. So he Derrida would say that that's also problematic. And to to resolve that uh, the difference comes in which is an undecidable which which is not it doesn't valorize any form of being or any a certain uh, a a center a specific center that we might uh, i don't know uh, see as uh, fit in a society
1: So so to make it sensible for yourself, you can can think about it in a number of different terms. You can can think of this as an argument about the way power works, which we've talked about. So there is no center of power in the way that was being um, presumed. And a statement like that has both an empirical force as well as an idealistic force. So there's a sense in which um, the theorists who and philosophers associated with Derrida and others are um, pursuing a new politics, imagining a decentered way in which power works. So some people might describe this as a form of, you know, like a radical democratic impulse. So power is dispersed, it's flattened, there's, you know, this kind of anti-hierarchical in that regard. But then also very much in terms of subjectivity. So this is the moment in which that very idea of us being subjects comes into being. Before that, we had individuals as a relatively taken-for-granted category, as I was discussing before. But we're, once once the subject becomes the focus of critical attention, then it becomes it's a very very complex multifaceted being with all sorts of um, elements in the mix and this very much this sense of, of, of becoming. So um, even though he's not straightforwardly a post-structuralist, if we brought some bring someone like Bourdieu into the discussion here, he gets us thinking about the way in which people are born into particular situations in life, are educated to be Um, to exist in relation to each other through class hierarchies and so on and so forth. And all of that life experience doesn't just get written on the body, it gets embodied by us. We actively participate in ourselves being structured as particular kinds of structuring beings, as he he describes it. So someone like Bourdieu, as we'll see in a couple of weeks' time, gives us this highly dynamic sort of dialogical engagement between the person and the society. We're constantly internalizing forces from outside and then externalizing, you know, via our own interpretive and other sorts of actions and so on. So it all gets very lively and dynamic and um, very, very different. Uh, So if, if if you were schooled in classical social theory, and the work of Marx and the sense that power um, existed in terms of this, this binary of those who own the means of production and those whose labor are, are alienated and so on and so forth. Then that's, that's a model of power and politics that suggests all you've got to do is um, get rid of private property and we're all free and equal. The, the post-structuralist, won't have a bar at that. They see it as a much more complex thing altogether.
3: So, Melinda, just coming back to that, um, the, the focus on the on the individual, or the um, I guess the reconceptualisation of the individual in terms of Levi Strauss, or, or Derrida, is it? Which one is proposing that? Is it Derrida that's proposing the
1: yeah, yeah. So yeah. The, it, it, the, the, the idea of the individual now being taken hold of as a subject is a post-structuralist move yeah. because you remember we, what, what Levi Strauss was, was reaching for was this idea of universal humanity.
4: Yeah,
1: we, we all do the same thing in our heads. We just apply those processes to different things in our environments. So there, there 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 was no subjectivity there couldn't be subjectivity for Levi-Strauss mm-hmm. there could only be structuring relations
6: and and that's across all cultures
1: it's everywhere yeah
4: yeah so um
1: i don't know maybe we don't need to dwell on that that, that Derrida essay there was some a couple of things, right at the end of it, that I thought might be useful to draw your attention to. Goodness, my thing is working slowly. Um, if nobody else has anything that they want to talk about, I mean, th- th- this idea of a centre being elsewhere—you know, there, there is never a centre to be found—is obviously really important here. Yeah. Um,
7: um. With Is this sort of um, for me? I just want to sort of check if I'm on the right path. A lot of stuff that's coming up around it is like the relationship between language and reality. Am I right in saying that sort of Levi Strauss thought that you could follow linguistic structures, and those, and then analysis of those linguistic structures would sort of lead to the thing in itself, um, like an actual uh actually something of substance and kind of what derrida is saying is that there is no hook or link between the linguistic structures and an actual thing act, act, something actually concrete that or that there is only the uh the subjectivity that is exposed through the, criteria, the through the classificatory structures that you use so the only thing that we can really understand is not the nature of things themselves, but all we can really kind of uh, yeah get to is the subjectivity of the person employing the classificatory structure.
1: Well, so- Derrida doesn't really talk very much about subjectivity at all. He, t- okay. he talks about language, absolutely. I mean, I'm taking us to subjectivity because in some ways it's easier for us to grasp. But if, if this was a, a class on Derrida per se, we would be all about language. And the, so the, the key difference, I think, is that, so you remember last week, one of the elements that was in the mix in terms of the way um, sub-signification works is this distinction between lang and parole. And and Levi Strauss drew these on a um, a chart like this, lang being the structure, if you like, of language, and parole being its enactment, you know, its speech. Speech is very, very important for Levi Strauss, and he told us that if we were to do an analysis of myth, we have to have every single iteration of that myth, every enactment of the myth is its own retelling, its own, you know, that, that dynamism is very, very important. And he thinks it, it's a very kind of a dialectical thing because you, in, in order to speak, you're drawing on the structure and you're reproducing the structure, but structures and their enactment never quite map onto each other. So there is dynamism in in Levi-Strauss, but there's also, I mean, the way I put it earlier is that the the arbitrary relationship between the signifier and the signified, the idea and the thing it stands for, is pretty stable. Okay, so you and I can have a conversation and understand each other because we are dealing with an agreed-upon set of meanings. So we back and forth in this class and every now and then someone will say, well, hang on a minute, how are you actually using that term? Because it is still all very dynamic, but there's still, when when you share a social background, um, there's there's a fair amount of shared um, stuff that, that we rely upon in order to make sense to each other. Derrida puts a big question mark under all of that. He sees language as ever so much more unstable, and um, he wants to also question um, what he calls logocentrism. Okay, so this idea that, um, let's see if we can find something in the actual article that helps with this, rather than me just talking on, because it's often pretty useful. Um, Feel free to jump in anybody if you're in the article and looking. Um, He Derrida is partly on about um, rejecting the primacy of presence. You might have seen some references to that through the article, which is in effect the the, the primacy of speech, of the oral. um, He wants to Give he 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 actually he would not call himself a post-structuralist, but he wants to raise the the significance of language and signification as being potentially a universalized a universalizable category. So, and this is where he starts to look a bit like Levi Strauss when you think of it um, um, at, at, at these terms of distance. So Levi Strauss gave us. Everything you know unconsciousness in the head we all do the same thing. Derrida wants to say that language that that written language in the way that we practice it and understand it operates everywhere in the world. Um, which and, and there are all sorts of very interesting debates between people who either agree with or disagree with that and agree with or disagree with whether it matters that we distinguish cultures that were primarily oral and had had you know iconographic forms of all sorts of rich kinds but did not use print were not print literate in the way that european history from the 15th century onwards gets us reading books and learning as individuals um, this is a really kind of complex discussion to be having sort of in a Zoom meeting like this when we haven't been reading the material and I can't point you to anchor points. So if it's not making sense, please call me up. But, um, or call me out. But in essence, I think what I'm saying is that it's not... The instability, yes, it's there between concepts and things in the world, which I think is what you were initially asking me about, yeah? And Levi Strauss um, saw that, relationship as being arbitrary for Derrida it's radically arbitrary so relative certainty for Levi-Strauss and with a center to it inherently unstable and completely decentered for Derrida but he's hard to read so um, if you're new to him then um, there's, there are other things that I could point you to, but I mean, this is a good thing to read on the back of um, as reading Levi Strauss. So right at the end of that essay, he kind of summarizes what's going on here and we've kind of talked it through, but it might be worth me just coming to this. So this is at the bottom of page two, two, three. So he says, If Levi Strauss, better than any other, has brought to light the play of repetition and the repetition of play, no one less perceives in his work a sort of ethic of presence, an ethic of nostalgia for origins, an ethic of archaic and natural innocence, of a purity of presence and self-presence in speech, an ethic nostalgia and even remorse with which he often presents as the motivation of the ethnological project. So this is a big critique of anthropology, hey, that in essence, anthropology of this kind is romanticizing a particular understanding of culture. um, And uh, it's a, a backward looking search to try and um, nail, if you like, an understanding of cultural holism. So Derrida is, is, is questioning that. And then he moves on. He says, there are thus two interpretations of interpretation, of structure, of sign, of play. The one seeks to decipher dreams of deciphering a truth or an origin which escapes play and the order of the sign and which lives the necessity of interpretation as an exile. The other, which is no longer turned toward the origin, affirms play and tries to pass beyond man and humanism. The name of man being the name of that being who throughout the history of metaphysics or of ontotheology, in other words, throughout his entire history, has dreamed of full presence, the reassuring foundation, the origin and the end of play. And then he says right at the end, for my part, although these two interpretations must acknowledge and accentuate their difference and define their irreducibility, I do not believe that today there is any question of choosing in the first place, because here we are in a region where the category of choice seems particularly trivial and in the second, because we must first try to conceive of the common ground and the difference of this irreducible difference. So, look, it's, it's frustrating stuff to read, but he's basically saying you've got Levi Strauss, insisting, searching for origins, and then you've got my play. And my play is the right model for the times.
3: <laughs> Quite arrogant on his behalf.
1: All, all these people who are sort of driving new theoretical, you know, directions are to some extent there, or that there's always a sense of claiming newness for oneself. And the, the, um, that has to be done in a forthright way, I guess. <laughs> My way or the highway. Um, all right. Should we leave that? to one side now and um, have a look at what Terry Turner is on about. Did anyone get a chance to read Turner and find anything of interest in it? In some ways we, we could have spoken about him before Derrida because he's much more closely, um, he's closer to Levi Strauss.
4: But, but he's still critical of Levi Strauss.
1: He starts off by saying that Levi Strauss has the right model, but he's applying it to the wrong level of data. Has anyone got any idea what he's talking about
4: here? I'm not
6: sure, but um, I don't know. On page five, there's a, a quote, a, a bit of underlined about internal transformations. He doesn't, he doesn't, um, so, yeah.
1: But, yeah. Right, bang on, and go.
6: Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about then um, the movement, the changes in people's thinking and um, rather, like we were talking about, I guess, structure doesn't stay just stable. That's the, that's the best I can do with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, excellent. And, and he, he's, he's saying there that, um, yes, it, in essence, he's concerned with transformation and levi Strauss's incapacity to, to, to deal with transformation. And he wants to say that we need a smaller unit than the mytheme, if you like.
4: Yeah.
1: Uh, it's not simply relations um, that require our analytic attention as anthropologists, there's there's something going on at a more intimate level perhaps that we need to attend to. So this is a piece that you might find useful to go back and read again um, after um, we come to the very last um, piece of work in the unit um, um, because Turner is in direct discussion with those um, Amazonian anthropologists and has quite a lot to say about Descola um, and uh, Viveros de Castro. Um, so again we're we're sort of we're reading something that precedes the, the the primary readings that we have not yet done, which is kind of a bit of a confounding thing to do, but also sets you up well for being ready to um, come at that reading and to have a sense of how um, that work con- continues Levi Strauss's work in certain ways and also profoundly breaks with it. Now, Terry Turner is a critic of um, what gets described as the ontological turn, which these people De scholar and the de Castro and others are the key proponents of and, he gives us, it, it's a it's a very, it's a long piece of work. It's a very substantial piece of work. It starts off as a, a critical appreciation of Levi Strauss, but then it makes a move at a certain point to turn attention to these more recent scholars who sort of springboard off Levi Strauss's work and then do this switch by insisting that the nature culture separation is not as Levi Strauss presumed it and put it to us. So has anybody read the piece closely enough to be able to say anything to us about what that nature culture move is that they make? What, what, something gets smashed there and
4: reinterpreted. What is it?
0: Now, I'm aware of this as a big um, moment in anthropology discourse of the nature versus culture. Um, but I haven't read Turner to be able to say much about it other than maybe Strauss, Levi Strauss was kind of, maybe he was for nature? I don't
1: know. No, no, it's not that he's for or against nature, but that he, he presumed the, a binary opposition between nature and culture and that, that was foundational to his model. And it was also what what went along with that was this um, identification of human processes, human culture as distinct from the entire animal world. So these people who we're being introduced to now are post-humanists. Mm. These are people who want to question that very basis of a distinction between human consciousness, human cultural activity and and relationship making and so on, as distinct from the natural world, the animals in the natural world. They um, dissolve that separation. So in the same way that Derrida did this job of of decentering the subject, dissolving certainty, Descola and others want to dissolve the presumption of the nature-culture divide and suggest that animals in Amazonia are just as much subjects, human subjects, as um, as we are. And, yep, Anne. Mm.
6: Um, so, it's, and I, I've only got to that bit and I don't really, can't really speak on it, but I'm just got a hunch and that um this the communication that goes on between animals and man uh the sensory kind of intuitive picking up is is he talking about that as well or uh
1: that would be one element but he's talking about the totality
6: okay
1: yeah Mm -hmm. so in other words, so if, if, if with Derrida we or no, I, sh- I shouldn't use Derrida in that case, but if with some of these post structures, we get this idea of subjectivity well with these guys who. Um, Terry Turner is reading we get that idea of subjectivity writ large through the entire um, universe. Um, so here I am on page 16 under a heading on animism natural objects and beings both animate and inanimate possess spirits conceived as consisting of mental faculties, affects and subjective consciousness, although not necessarily human-like personalities. Spirit is not itself conceived as intrinsically human or cultural entity, but rather as an innate product of natural powers possessed by all species, including humans, animals, plants and spirits of the deaf subjectivity and mentality are constituted by these powers are rather believed to be universal natural attributes of all beings so there's a kind of a massive redistribution if you like of subjectivity which is another side of the decentering of man you know so once man is no longer taken to be the center of the world and the 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 focus of conscious activity, you have a completely different conception of the universe. Um, Now, I don't want us to kind of um, spend too much time on that. You'll come to that in the week that that we read, the weeks that we read and and look at Descola. But obviously what's relevant here in our thinking about Levi Strauss is this, question of the nature culture distinction how it gets conceived and then dissolved, and how then a further generation of scholars come back and refuse that um, that um, dissolution as well so th- in other words this this debate is is live and still at fever pitch particularly in american anthropology And you have some very, very, very interesting and very passionate debates going on, not around the minute of Amazonian ethnography, but around big questions to do with what perhaps gets thrown out once you um, redeploy subjectivity in that way. So there's a very, very interesting body of critical work that is against the ontological turn and writes about um, the need to bring politics back into sight um, and particularly colonial domination, which these guys have got nothing to say because they're, they're, they've kind of recreated a different kind of universe that, that is totalized to itself. Um, it'd be interesting to have Gillian in on this conversation because she and I would probably um, Sort of have a little bit of a spa around some of that stuff as well, because obviously she's very, very keen on on desk color. Yeah, so interesting perspectives all around. Um, okay, anything in this work that people are interested to draw out?
7: Uh, I'm curious about whether or not Levi-Strauss applied nature as a type of universal, stable category or not.
4: What do other people think?
0: I'm wondering if Levi-Strauss might have come back to Derrida because um, he died like recently, Um, so I'm wondering, you know, whether he had a lot of critiques back and forth with a lot of these people, like back in the 60s or the 70s. So I guess I'm asking a further question to you, Matt. Uh, I don't
7: don't think, you're not asking me, are you? Because uh, I mean, I don't,
0: no, I'm asking the group.
7: <laughs> okay, has
0: anyone got thoughts? Because, like, um, you know, we're reading, like, these critiques and opposing views to Levi Strauss, but then what did he have to say? And is that of relevance for us to look into, to refer to any of his work, his commentary?
6: I just remembered Derrida, saying something about Levi Strauss had really come to the same conclusion that he had somewhere in his statement, um, somewhere in that. But he... Uh, anyway, I don't know how helpful
0: that is. Um. It's the blind leaning the blind now.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm not aware of Levi Strauss responding to Derrida. Um, no,
6: no, but Derrida said something about that there was something in... Strauss's work that he, Strauss ignored or just passed over that Derrida was trying to, anyway, all right, I'll leave that one be. <laughs>
1: There's a good essay, um, some of you might have had a look at it on um, the class page by Petrovic where um, she um, wants to defend Levi Strauss, you know, against. Derrida's reading and, and that, that's quite a, a nice one to read to um, get a, a slightly different sense of, of how things pan out in that debate um, but Matt yeah look I, I think without doubt nature was a stable category and you know I mean it both a stable category and Levi Strauss builds the foundations of his argument around um, kinship and myth um, uh, around the the inc- incest taboo, and he makes an argument that this basically delineates the separation of nature from culture. Um, so, and th- and that's it. And he moves on from there. So yeah, absolutely stable. But, but you, I I wonder why you're asking the question because it makes me think you've um, been reading elements of him that suggest otherwise, perhaps? No, I,
7: um, for me, what I'm trying to clear up is that, like, the main thing I took from Levi Strauss was that he was sort of making a comment about, like, almost psychology, uh, that that our, that our mind has this type or that inbuilt in a in type of rationality that we have. Yeah. is this process of classification it's sort of in a sense what rational consciousness does is classify things yeah. and that and it does so in a binary fashion and that he was making less of a comment about the what the how the world is uh and more of a comment about what the mind does you bet absolutely and part of the critique that i'm hearing is kind of about the type of image of the world that that, uh, that that structuralist approach creates. And that, you know, Derrida is saying, well, the world's not really like that. You know, that things aren't really li- that way. Uh, you know, which might well be true. And, you know, I would sort of, let's say, sympathize, or my empathy would be with uh, Derrida in that case. You know, the, the world isn't really like that. But that doesn't mean that that's not. I guess I'm just repeating my point from earlier. It's really,
1: really, it doesn't really. Mean
7: that that's not point. what the mind is doing.
1: It's um, a really important point, and, w- and what I would say in response to your point is that the history of anthropology unfolds through time as a set of people arguing with each other through time. So, in other words, the world is changing constantly, and both social theorists and anthropologists. Are chasing that world, trying to make sense of it as it is itself changing. So structuralism is right for the time in which it's brought into being, but its time isn't, was never going to last. You, you, you're never going to have the per, something that we could call the perfect anthropological theory. There's no such thing. Theory, like everything else, is always relative and context. Um Dependent, you know ideas only come into being because they make sense and they speak to particular circumstances. and you look you 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 get it in your own life. I don't know, maybe you're all too young so far, I don't know, but you know everyone's shaking their head. You get these moments of disconnect where you can feel some certain taken for granted things that you have. Being put into tension with the way people are acting in the world it's very very interesting that sense of slight out of timeness it, it 's a moment where you get a sense of how you know what we describe as generation gaps develop um, and there, there's there's a, a a real material sense to the the truth of all of that because um, yeah, it, it, all, it, it all unfolds over time. So it, it would not make sense for us to park post-structuralism and structuralism side by side and say, which one is right? Which one gets at the world more effectively? Because they're speaking to different worlds. I can't put it more straightforwardly than that. They're speaking to different worlds. So to to write to the world in the 1930s is not to write to the world in the 1950s and here I'm I'm still just talking about the world, not even particular places. But but the, the conditions of possibility of ideas are highly malleable. And that's what makes anthropology so fascinating because each of us, each of you, as you go out and you apply your attention to whatever it is that you're interested in, you're just trying to make that thinking work so hard to connect up to that thing that you're trying to make sense of. And anthropologists have this experience again and again and again when you, you go to do fieldwork somewhere where so many people have been there before and you look around you, you've read all of the stuff and you go, but this, this is a different place. And it is a different place. And you're a different thinker because you've got a, diff- a head full of different ideas and different works because of the time in which you've been to university and the people who've influenced you and so on and so forth. So it's hugely, hugely interesting in that way. And I think look, a, a lot of people, a lot of these big figures, they, they don't go into um, heavy debate with the, the, the people who come next although there is that there, there's a fair bit of what we describe as sort of you know boundary policing and you know this is what real anthropology is and you know there are lots of old people who still insist that this this is the real kind of anthropology and but the rest of the world marches on and lots and lots of anthropologists go and do what they would do in their own way so um all of that is in the mix Sorry, that's a that's a bit of a um a bit of a raise, but uh, the keep keeping that 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 set of um that set of observations in mind, I think is really useful in a in a unit like this where you're being landed on with you know a big heavy chunk of, of ideas, but no ideas are are in a in a social or a temporal vacuum. That's for sure.
0: When um, when Matt was making his point before you jumped in, Melinda, I kind of thought, what would Levi Strauss make of flat earthers? And what would he make of anti-vaxxers? Like, how would he explain it to those groups about the science <laughs> um, of their logic, and then explain it to us about how they're taking it to be? So yeah, that's kind of what I thought of. So. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Oh, look, I think we can be sure he'd have something to say, but, um, you know, like, like the rest of us, he, he'd have to confront it all and go, gosh, the world's changed a lot, hasn't it?
4: Yeah. yeah. Right. Any, any sort of final wrap ups around Levi Strauss and these ideas?
1: I'm sure we will revisit some of these ideas in future weeks. This is really, I I feel like it's just a flagging placeholder of certain themes that that will come back and and might open out in some interesting ways. Um, Some people get very excited about the ontological turn. Some people get very excited about the the sort of vigorous debates between the the more kind of um, uh, politically engaged um, critics of, of, of the ontologist so, you know, there's a whole um, body of work that I can recommend to anyone who does want to go down that road. Similarly, post, when post structuralism um, hit anthropology in the 1980s. It was an extraordinarily exciting time with an explosion of different kinds of work, new sorts of theories being brought to bear new ethnographic models, new practices and a hugely new focus on writing itself. There are a couple of key books that came out in 1986 that you may have met in some other classes, particularly writing culture by um, um, uh, Marcus and um, Clifford, um, James Clifford and George Marcus, edited by those two gentlemen and another one, um, in the same year, which is sort of trying to make sense of all of the foment around cultural critique. Um, those books, I, I was introduced to those books in my honours year and that was the first time that anthropology really came alive for me, I have to say, after three years of finding it all pretty boring. <laughs> Lots of equations being drawn on blackboards, that sort of thing. Um, so that there, there are all manner of different sorts of trajectories that that you can pursue. Um, and I'm always happy to talk to people out of class if you're, um, you know, looking for some suggestions on what material you think might be useful for your thesis. Um, although, of course, you're working with magnificent supervisors, so you might need not need that either. Um, okay. I was going to, uh, I, I might share with you that don't feel under any obligation at all. I think I previously might've sent a little email around about an event that's on tomorrow night um, in relation to my book that's just come out. Well, we under pressure, we've just finally added a Zoom link. So if you um, felt like coming on and hearing me give a little bit of a raise about anthropology in a time when anthropology is under attack, Um, even if you just want to come in for a little bit of it and then jump out, um, uh, by all means. So I'll I'll send that email on to you all now so you've got the Zoom link if you feel um, that you want to jump online. Uh, uh,
3: When is that, Melinda?
1: It's tomorrow evening at 7.30.
3: Cool. So uh, so it'll be after the deacon seminar?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's unfortunate that there's a clash, Um, we chose that date because we were waiting for the WA border to open and had to link up with a very particular speaker who just yesterday came down with COVID. Oh no. <laughs> so it's the... the Bugger. Yeah, the disruptions are never ending. But anyway, um, it'll be a, a pretty stimulating night, I'm sure. All right, any last minute thoughts from anyone?
4: Okay, well, I hope all of this isn't doing your
1: head in, your head's in too much. Um, It's good just to let it all kind of roll around and, um, you know, it it, it will help in in all sorts of ways as you pick up future work and so on. All right, I'll shut up. Nice to see you all. Have a great evening. And um, I won't see you next week, but I'll look forward to seeing you the week after. Okay. Oh, no, not the week after. That's the Easter break. Enjoy the break. Enjoy your essays. Be in touch if you have any issues about the essays. I'll get on to um, the assignment um, submission problem and um, see you on the other side of Easter. Okay. Thanks,
4: Melinda.
1: Thank you. you. Thank you.